Disclaimer, dude, it. you are you're, you're, you have job security tonight. Well, <laughs> <laughs> in this economy, I'll take any job security I can get, too. This is A.W. Borset, a.k.a. Andy. Hey, guys, Tim Cooper calling. Hi, my name is Jeff James. And you're listening to Beyond the Box. Hi, I'm Rayburn Johnson. And I'm Steve Sensenick. And this is Beyond the Box. Here's your invitation to explore life outside the box of institutional religion. This is a place where there are no walls to restrict our search for truth as we embrace the ambiguity of defining our life in Christ. So unbuckle your seatbelt, recline your chair, throw caution to the wind, and get ready for the ride that is Beyond the Box. back with you on Beyond the Box today, everyone. We are right smack dab in the middle of our series of Loose at the Goose podcasts. Now, these are conversations that were recorded live at the Wild Goose Festival back in June in North Carolina. And so far, it seems like you guys have really resonated with the first two or at least been intrigued by the first two as there's been a lot of comments, questions, and conversation going on on the Facebook page and on the website. And I just really appreciate you guys not only taking the time to listen, but also to interact with us. So thank you so much for that. Today, I think you're really in for a treat in part three. Today, we are joined by Dave Andrews. And many of you are not going to be familiar with who that is. But I hope that that changes by the end of this podcast. Dave Andrews is an amazing man. I have a ton of respect for Dave Andrews. He's an author, a speaker, an activist, a Christian anarchist. He is an amazing man. Dave and his wife Angie and their family have lived and worked in intentional communities with marginalized groups of people in Australia, Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, and Nepal for more than 30 years. He now lives in a large joint household with his wife, his children, his grandchildren, and other people in an inner city community in Brisbane, Australia. Dave is a man that, in my mind, really demonstrates what it means to live out the Sermon on the Mount, which is something that I aspire to. I was introduced to Dave, I guess, a couple of years ago through a couple of his books, uh, one of which really impacted me, entitled Christianarchy. Christianarchy was a book that Dave wrote kind of as a primer or an introduction to the idea of Christian anarchy, which is, you guys probably know, is something that's really near and dear to my heart as I fumble and bumble my way along trying to live into the reality of what that even means. Um, But Dave is someone who's farther down the journey towards Christian anarchy than I am, and someone who really, um, while he exemplifies an ideal of living into Christian anarchy, he's down to earth enough to know that he still has clay feet and that no one is called to imitate him, but to imitate Jesus. This guy, I tell you, I I just, there's not enough superlatives for me to describe who Dave Andrews is to you. Just quickly before we get into the conversation, I'll give you an example. Um, Michael Harden, our good friend here at the podcast and, and in real life, Um, Michael Harden, whose booth we shared at the Wild Goose Festival, 
track down Dave Andrews for me at the Wild Goose Festival and brought him into the Preaching Peace Tent so that we could do an interview with him, which I was really grateful for. Because I tell you, when I looked at the um, Wild Goose Festival speaker lineup, one of the main people that I was interested in talking to was Dave Andrews. He was pretty much at at the top of the list for me. And Michael Harden got Dave to come sit and and chat with me on Beyond the Box. But also he sat around for probably another 25 or 30 minutes after we turned off the recorder and just kept conversing with me just because he was interested in the conversation. And then later that day, I I went to go grab a bite of lunch at a little pizza shack um, on on the festival grounds. And lo and behold, there's Dave Andrews on his way to speak somewhere. But while he's on his way, he grabs a bite of pizza and, and takes the time, whereas a lot of people would want to be by themselves and want to kind of get their head clear. Instead, Dave grabs me and says, hey, let's go sit down and talk some more. So we talk throughout lunch, and and he just takes a real genuine interest in me. And I just, I tell you, I was just so impressed by that. I told my wife when I got home from the Wild Goose Festival, I said, you know what? I think if you were to hug this guy that he would probably ooze love out of every one of his pores. He is just such an amazing man. So um, I know I'm I'm, I'm uh, really laying it on thick here, but I really believe what I'm saying about Dave. And Dave, thank you for taking the time for this conversation. Anyway, I'm going to step out of the way, let that roller coaster come in, and let you hear the conversation that we had with Dave Andrews in our Loose at the Goose podcast series. Well, I am sitting here with Dave Andrews, privileged to do so. Um, Many of you are not going to know who Dave is. I want to introduce you to Dave. Um, He is actually from New Zealand. I get Australia and New Zealand confused, Dave. Australia. See, I'm I'm messing up already. Look at that. (laughs) But you've written some fantastic books, Christianarchy, um, Not Without Love, which was also a great book. And those are actually coming back out in Whippenstock, I think, this year. Is that right? Okay. I would just like you to kind of tell our listeners um, kind of who you are, what you do. Um, you're kind of a trendsetter with communal living, someone, or should I say a groundbreaker with communal living for our generation. Um, I'd just like you to tell some people about your experience of living communally and also kind of the whole idea of Christian anarchy and what that means to you and, and why that's important to you. Well, it's really nice to meet with you and have this conversation. Absolutely. And it's nice to include other folks in it as well, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah. So for me, um, my understanding is that we're made in the image of God and that God is a community. And um, so when we're made in the image of God, we're made by community for community. Mm. And when uh, Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel and baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, it seems to me that he's saying, I want you to immerse people Mm. in an experience of the divine um, uh, model for human community so that they can experience a little bit of what heaven is like on earth. Mm. Because hell is where we're separated from one another, isolated from one another, set off against one another. And heaven's about um, the way that God can help us reconnect, Mm. recommunicate and uh, resolve our conflicts and reconcile and come together and find ways of being together and doing things together and living together uh, in a way that reflects a little bit of the Trinity. Mm. 
as a model for community in the localities where we live. So I've got a strong sense that this is just not uh, not an optional extra for people that uh, are just interested in uh, alternative living. Right, you right. Know, this to me is something of the heart of the gospel mm. uh, that Jesus expected his disciples to share with other people. Um, the trouble is that many of us uh, in my country and in your country too uh, have such an individualistic understanding of the faith it's hard to even see the communal implications of the faith mm. we've got an idea of God being a single sovereign deity who directs uh, the course of history not this God who is a community that makes us as communities in uh, uh, the image of God and then engages with us in as co-creators of human history right. um, and that kind of personal, relational, experiential, dynamic, interactive way of understanding God and what it means for us to uh, live our lives in relationship with God is very difficult for people that are living in a very individualistic, um, independent um, uh, society that fears interdependence as codependence oh, yeah. and, and so resists it. And so um, I've been on a journey to kind of rediscover um, uh, the the nature of the Trinity as a model for community. I've been on a vent, uh, venture of trying to actually find a way of embodying that kind of spirituality in my own life with my own nuclear family, my own extended family, um, and and more than that in the in the locality in which I live, because I I believe we're not to be um, setting up communities that are apart from our localities but are a part of our localities mm, mm. the whole idea of ecclesia or the, the Greek word for church I think we have to reclaim it and reframe it because um, uh, being brought up Baptist uh, my understanding of ecclesia was that uh, it meant that we were called out and, and we were left with the sense that that meant we were called out of our local community to be apart from our local community as a community that was distinct and different mm. and separate mm. and in some ways over against right, yeah. uh, the locality in which we were based. Very much. But when we go back to the scriptures and realize the context in which Jesus used the word ecclesia, ecclesia was where people who were called aside from their town or village to consider how they could be a part of their community that was concerned about the welfare of the community and was responsible for it and participated with it in ways that uh, we're committed to peace and justice. And so mm. I think we've got to deconstruct and reconstruct even our understanding of community that, in terms of church, to find church as um, not a group of people who are apart from their community but are part of their community that are committed to actually embodying something that the Trinity is a model for community in, a, in creating safe places where people are accepted and respected, where everybody's treated as special, mm. where people can participate in decisions that impact on their lives and where we're committed to doing uh, justice to all people, even, whether they're part of our groups or not. And I think, you know, it seems to me that there's no clearer call to that than in the Sermon on the Mount of Jesus mm, yeah. or in as uh, Paul summarized in Romans 12, to me it's just, um, you know, I, I see Romans 12 as a charter yeah. for a kind of a healthy kind of community uh, living, right. which, which includes not just our friends but our enemies and a way of engaging our enemies and the way of overcoming evil with good. Um, so, yeah, for, for, uh, for me, community is not an optional extra. 
Yeah, you yeah. Know what I mean? It's 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 part of the gospel. It's well, what you're saying an intrinsic and an integral yes, part of the gospel. Yes, yeah. it's not something that you can leave off to the side and just accept Jesus as your personal savior. And it's not something that you leave to those kind of radical, alternative, communally orientated Christian types. You know, I, I just think it's right. This is part of our heritage in the gospel. Yeah. This is part of what it means. I think you know, with the with the parable, um, Jesus's parable of the leaven, yes. where he talks about you know that that it's just a little it's just a little part in the bread, but eventually it takes over the entire loaf. And I think what you're saying is kind of it res- to me it resonates with what Jesus is saying in that parable. That absolutely, yeah. but I, I think many of us prefer to be the light on the hill. Yeah. So people come by and say, twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. You know, you're so wonderful, you're so lovely, you're so bright, um, you're bigger and better than everybody else. We, that's mm. the kind of uh, image of church that we like. Yeah. But the whole nature of that parable about the leaven in the dough is that the only way it actually acts as a transformative agent is to be so mixed up mm. in that's the context good. in which it's located that's right. that you actually cannot tell the difference between the leaven and dough. And it's only when you can't tell the difference, it can make a difference because then that spirit is embodied in the context of all those relationships. And I think the challenge for us is to immerse ourselves in the messiness and the chaos of life mm. and yet bring into that something of that spirit um, of, uh, of God that actually is interested in reconciling and resolving conflicts and bringing people together in the in, in the midst of that chaos so so can you give us some nuts and bolts because a person like me that's you know a white middle class um, independent American who who sees this and sees that there's a real need to do this and says okay what next how do you how do you get started in in a life of living in community how do you well, how do you do that well the good news is that Jesus makes it very simple. We try to make it very complicated. Jesus makes it very simple. So when Jesus sends out his disciples, he sends them out two by two, right? And then he says, whatever town or village you go to, look for a third person, a man or a woman of peace. And he says, once two meets with another one, that's three. And three is enough because the Trinity mm. is the foundation the model. for developing wow. an alternative um, uh, culture within wow. a dominant cu- culture. So um, what I believe is that, that we need to um, recognize that a single person can make a point about the love of God, mm. right? Mm. They can actually articulate it. Two people can develop a line of communication that actually demonstrates the love of God in the way they relate to each other. But when you relate with three people, you create a triangle in which there is a space in which you can incarnate the love of God in an alternative kind of uh, culture that embodies something of the kingdom of heaven on earth. Uh, So that Jesus said, where two or three of you are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst, in the space that you create because you create an alternative culture. And if we actually, in that uh, culture, in in the, the context of those relationships, <clears throat> we incarnate something of uh, the reality of God's love, so people can see it and hear it and feel it mm. and touch it and taste it. Mm. Then what we 
beginning to do is um, incarnating a microcosm of heaven on earth. Wow. And we can do that in our families, we can do that in our um, uh, uh, streets, we can do that at work, we can do that at church. Wow. So we don't need hundreds of people wow. to start the revolution. We don't need thousands of dollars to start the revolution. You and I and one other person are enough wow. to start our own personal political revolution. Wow. Do, you, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And, and so... Um, uh, I, I think it's it's possible. It's possible for everybody. Um, I um, I think a good example of that is where um, my wife and I were trying to engage a, a woman who lived across uh, the back fence from us. We thought we'd get on really well with her because my wife is Greek, she was Greek. Uh, but um, and we couldn't connect with her. We tried to make a point of demonstrating our love, of, of articulating our love by every morning saying. But there was no response because uh, uh, she was Orthodox and we were, we were Evangelisti, so we, mm. she was very suspicious of us. Mm. So we thought, oh, maybe she's scared of us. She thinks we're kind of crazy people. So we'll sit on the back deck, have a cup of tea, so she can see the way that we relate to each other. And so we moved to just trying to make a point of articulating our love to her. Demonstrating, to demonstrating that relationship. our loving relationship huh. so she didn't need to be afraid of us. Huh. So we'd sit on the back deck, have a cup of tea, and and chat together in a very uh, obviously loving way. And then we'd give her a wave when she came out of her house and say, uh, uh, Still no response. Because we were articulating the love, we were demonstrating the love, but she couldn't relate to it. Mm. Mm. So what we tried to do is with a number of friends, we took down some fences in, in our neighborhood block and we put a chicken cooperative uh, in, in the back garden of one of our friends' house. And we invited everybody in the block to actually come to the chicken cooperative, put in their uh, f um, vegetable scraps and take out fresh eggs. Hmm. So in the context of the relational space that we created, wow. she was invited to step into that space to access the chicken cooperative. And then she began to feel the difference that wow. our love made. Wow. You know, in that space she felt accepted. In that space she felt respected. In that, and uh, a little later on we had a, um, a, uh, a chicken barbecue when all the chickens stopped laying. Um, apologies to all the vegetarians <laughs> and vegans who are listening. Please close your ears at this point. But when the chickens went off the lay, we had a chicken barbecue. And we invited everybody in our block to come to that, including our neighbour, hmm. who up until then we'd had very limited contact with who but who was beginning to feel the love in the mm. context of this kind of culture that we created in this relational space mm. and as we sat together and we ate together and we drank together there was just a wonderful growing sense of communication community mm. commonality mm. And the end of the afternoon I said to her Thea how did you find the, the afternoon she said that's it, or my child um I loved it. It was just like my village back home in Greece. Wow. Now, for a Greek, that's like saying this was You're a little bit of, of heaven on wow. earth. We're part of wow. the family. Wow. Yeah. Is, is that impossible for people to do? No, that's possible See, for us to do. You're making it easy because, honestly, when I've read, when I've read books um, that have to do with, you know, living communally or this kind of thing, I go away so many times convicted 
but yet feeling an overwhelming sense of how the heck do you start? How do you start? And what you're saying is, it's just a really practical nuts and bolts. Simple, yes. practical, possible. Possible, exactly. And I mean, now we can take that on from there. That, but, but we all need simple, practical places for us to start. That's right. I mean, I, I think some of us who are committed to community make it too hard for people. Yeah, yeah. Because we develop an idea of community, an ideology of community, a methodology of community. Anything less than that is... Anything less isn't really hardcore, radical Christian community. Right, do you right. understand what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, I do. I do. I mean, my sense of community was nurtured by a family in which my mother and father embodied the love of God, not just for um, people in our house, but in, for other people in the houses next door. Our, our household became a safe space that people could run to uh, when there was domestic violence or sexual abuse. So it was modelled for me by my father, who's a straight Baptist pastor, in the way that they related to people and in that relational space embodied something of the Trinity uh, 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 in our locality that that um, was demonstrated in in accessible hospitality that wow. people could climb inside, walk inside and experience could themselves. Could actually experience, yeah. Mm. Well, let me ask you, in light of what you're saying, um, I know in the last few months I've really began to kind of try and understand, for lack of a better term, quote-unquote, the other. Yes. How do how do we embrace the other, and simultaneously maintain our our Christian convictions, not not compromise who we are, and simultaneously embrace someone that's very different from us, yes. uh, which seems to be what Jesus did, but it seems to be so mutually exclusive with evangelical faith yes. these days. How, how how have you give maybe related experience with that, and how? some insight into maybe how that, how we're to go about that. Well, I've been really convicted as a, as a follower of Christ to uh, find a better way of relating to Muslims because at the moment uh, the wars that your country's involved in and my country's involved with um, are wars that most Muslims feel are uh, wars conducted by Christians against Muslims. Crusades, basically. Basically, yeah. Yeah. that's the way they see it. Yeah. And the, the challenge is for me as a Christian to try and find a way of engaging Muslims that demonstrate the reality of God's love. So how do I incarnate that in the context of war? So the first thing I did when war was declared was go down to the local mosque and say, look, I believe in the God of Abraham. You believe in the God of Abraham. We don't necessarily see it the same way, but then I must admit, I don't necessarily see the God of Abraham the same way as other Christians do, let alone other Muslims. So, but let's affirm the fact that we both believe in the God of Abraham. Yeah. And I, I, and that being so, I want to come to your mosque on a Friday morning and I want to pray with you as an act of solidarity. Wow. You know, I'm a Christian, I'm not a Muslim, but can I do that? And they welcome me in. When it came to Ramadan, I said, look, we live in a capitalist society, military industrial complex, you know, it's driven by consumer obsessions. You guys are fasting. Thank you for bringing back fasting back into my culture. Wow. Can I fast with you? Wow. And um, uh, during Ramadan. And at the end of Ramadan, we got 50 Christians and 50 Muslims together to talk about what prayer and fasting meant to them. Uh, we got people. To, we didn't say that Christians were Muslims or Muslims were Christians. Right. We, the distinctives were there, but out of our distinctive experience of prayer and fasting as Christians and Muslims, we began to share uh, the lessons we learned from that. Um, uh, we um, uh, then began to talk about theology, 
and uh, we told our Muslim friends that you know we've got a theology group and, um, and we're trying to read the scriptures and reread the scriptures in different ways, um, maybe to deconstruct and reconstruct our theology so it's just not as hardcore and hardline, uh, but it's a bit more gentle and um, a bit more loving. Yeah. And they said, "Can we come?" So we had twelve Christians uh, together in our, our theology group and six Muslims turned up. Serious Muslims. Uh, one of them was a Hafiz. He knew the whole of the Quran off by heart. So we're not talking about wow. liberal, uh, cultural Muslims. Right. We're talking about dedicated, devout, sincere wow. Muslim people. Um, uh, we invited them to come and we said, look, how are you guys going reading your texts? And they said, well, it's embarrassing really because we tend to take the text out of context and use it as a pretext for any vested interest we have and all the Christians roll their eyes, uh, nod their heads. And this start, sure sounds familiar, right? <laughs> start smiling. This sure sounds familiar. Wow. Exactly. And so we said, how are you dealing with that? How are you getting beyond that? And they said, well, we've noticed at the beginning of every surah in the Quran, except one, it begins with this. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. In the name of Allah, the most merciful and compassionate. And they said, Previously, we used to treat that as a kind of like a prayer before we studied the text. But we didn't take that into account when we were studying the text. Now we realize it's a hermeneutic. We're actually wow. meant to interpret the text in the light in of light the of mercy and compassion of God. This sounds and familiar, Dave. <laughs> exactly. Wow. And so um, I'm sitting there, chills going up and down my spine and going, wow. man, that's amazing. Tell me more about what you mean. And they said, well, we believe that when we interpret the text, it needs to reflect the character of God who is merciful and compassionate. Wow. And if our interpretation of the text is not merciful and compassionate, it is not of God, My even goodness. if it contradicts Sharia law. My goodness. So I'm sitting there going, wow, this is amazing. I just can't help myself. I just reach out to these guys and say, Jesus would love you. No because doubt. Because that's what Jesus did with Torah. I mean, that, now, <laughs> that's basically, we're, we're learning good hermeneutics from Muslims, exactly. biblical hermeneutics from Muslims. That's amazing. Without betraying our commitment to Jesus. Wow. By looking, but by looking, by being passionately committed to Christ and looking for what is of Christ mm. that is happening there. See, the trouble is, I think many Christians have a, a, a reductionist view of the role of the Spirit. So we see the, the role of the Spirit primarily as a post-conversion Christian experience where the, we experience the, the Spirit in the baptism of the Spirit, um, the fullness of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. Now, are all those things true? Yes. Do I believe them? Yes. Yeah. I affirm those and I try to practice those in my own life. But the Spirit is broader, deeper, wider. I mean, we see in Genesis that the Spirit was involved in creation. Yeah. Jesus bringing light out of darkness. Um, and um, I believe that every artistic discovery is in response to the Spirit. Every scientific uh, discovery is in response to the Spirit. Every beautiful, mutual, meaningful conversation is in response to the Spirit who yeah. brings us all together. Because it's the Spirit, Jesus says, that leads us, in, leads us into truth. All truth, yeah. All truth. That's right. That's is, right. Is by the Spirit. Now, people don't recognize that. But we, as followers of Jesus, need to be able to go into any context, in any situation, in any tradition, in any religion, and look for where the Spirit is at work. Wow. And, the, and, and we, 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 we can discern that for looking by looking for what is Christ-like mm. that's emerging in that, whether people use the name of Jesus or not. Wow. And, and we need to be able to play snap. We need to be able to be so immersed in the gospel, so familiar who with Jesus is, that we can go into these situations and look for where the Spirit is um, nurturing something that's um, typically Christ-like and go, snap, that's it. 
Mm. How good is that? So mm. in that moment, when I heard my friend Halim saying this, the immediate response was, snap. Yeah, yeah. That is Christ-like. Yeah, You know, yeah. I can affirm this. This is fantastic. You're finding Jesus for him. You're, fi- you're locating well, I Jesus. A, I, I mean, you're locating Jesus yeah, in his, yes, in in his, his context. context. Yes. So, wow. Now, uh, when I wrote my books on the Beatitudes, uh, I've written three books on the Beatitudes because I, I'm, I'm on a one-man campaign to reclaim the Beatitudes and reframe the Beatitudes for, as a personal political revolution, framework for a personal political revolution. Yeah, I think the creeds are great, but there's no ethical content in the creeds. Right, exactly. I'd love to see every church read the Beatitudes every week. I'd love to see the churches learn them off by heart and just seek to live the Beatitudes. I'd like to see the church deconstructed and reconstructed as a recovery group. Yeah. You know, because we've got recovery groups for socially unacceptable addictions, like addictions to alcohol and and to, to drugs. But we need recovery groups for socially acceptable addictions to like power violence. and status yeah. and wealth and success yeah. and the violence that we're prepared to use to get there. Yes. Right? Wouldn't it be great if we set up B groups to, where we're committed to be the change we want to see in the world, like AA groups, and we come together and say, hi, my name's Dave Andrews. I'm committed to power. I'm committed to wealth. I'm committed wow. to status. I'm committed to success. And, wow. and I'm, I am prone to violence to use violence in order to get what I want and get it now. Now, wouldn't it be great if I can come into a group and confess that and say, but I want to learn the Beatitudes off by heart. I want to live the Beatitudes and and to get together like this. My father was a pastor. He used to love preaching and he came to me one day and said, son, what do you think I should preach on next? And I said, dad, I don't think you really want to know. He said, no, come on, tell me, son. He gets so excited about a new sermon, you know. And I said, I think it would be great if you stopped preaching altogether. He was shocked. And I said, dad... We don't need to know anymore. Mm, wow. We know enough. Say it's time long. to practice. That's the truth. It's time to practice. What if we just said, what if we just took the Beatitudes and said, for the next six months, we're not going to have any other preaching in any churches around the world. We're just going to learn the Beatitudes off by heart and live the Beatitudes. What if we just deconstructed church and reconstructed churches, all these kind of support groups for all us people who are addicted mm. to power and wealth and status and success and violence. And we just got together and we supported each other and uh, in living the Beatitudes. And the, and the prayer that I would like us to pray for these groups is, is simply this. You know how in AA they've got the, the serenity prayer that goes, right. Lord, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference? The prayer I think we should pray in our B groups is, Lord, grant me the serenity to accept the people I cannot change. Oh, wow. The courage to change the one I can and the wisdom to know it's me. This is the revolution of Jesus. That's good. That is really good. Wow. Selah. (laughs) Dave, thank you so much. Amazing stuff. Let me just, uh, for the people at home, how can they get in touch with you? How can they find out more about your ministry? So uh, they can get in touch with me uh, by looking at my website, www.daveandrews.com.au, or they can look up um, a website that supports this this campaign to take the Beatitudes and use the Beatitudes as a framework for engaging the world of poverty and violence. It's called www.daveandrews.com.au. We can dot be. We can be the change huh. we want to see in the world. People can down uh, uh, resources from that, book from that. Say, say that again. We can. That. We can dot be. We can dot be. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And um, and uh, of course, uh, six of my books are now available in the states through Whip and Stock. And um, people can take those and get them online. Which I want to encourage our listeners to do that if you get a chance. Um, it took me a long time to track down some of your books, Dave. 
So I'm so thankful that they're being reprinted and that they're actually uh, that you can actually afford them now instead of yeah, buying right. used thousand dollar copies. <laughs> so thank you so much for being on Beyond the Box. We so appreciate it, Dave. You're more than welcome. Wow. I don't know if that challenged you near as much as it did me. But this is a conversation that not only challenged me when I had it, but I think is going to continue to challenge me as I think about the things that Dave said and as I go back and listen to myself to this podcast. Um, Dave just has so many, in my mind, revolutionary ideas and revolutionary practices. There's so many people that are saying what Dave is saying, but I don't know of a whole lot of examples out there that are actually living this out. And... For me, this is something that I, I really aspire to in a very broken and messed up and fumbling and bumbling way. Um, just like I shared with Dave, I'm a white middle class American um, who's pretty interested in his own security and his own self-interest. And the example of Dave Andrews really challenges me to go beyond my personal boundaries and my personal security and really live into Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. So Dave, thank you for your example. Thank you for your words. Thank you for your writing. And thank you for taking the time to be on this podcast. I really hope this is not the last conversation that I get to have with you. Guys, you need to check out Dave's stuff. Um, I know when I bought Dave's books, I bought Christianarchy and a book entitled Not Religion But Love. These books are both fantastic. But when I bought them, Dave was very hard uh, his books were very hard to get in the United States. I had to find them used on Amazon and I had to wait a while before I could actually afford one because people were selling them for so much because they weren't readily available. But now Whipfenstock Publishers has actually re-released all of Dave's books in the United States and they are a very reasonable price. So I encourage you pick up some of Dave's stuff and be inspired about the possibilities of living into Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. Um, make sure to visit Dave's website. Go to daveandrews.com.au. It stands for Australia. And check out Dave's interviews, um, his publications, uh, just different links that he has. Just make sure to check out his website and drop Dave a line and tell him how much you appreciate him being on Beyond the Box. Um, we would love to hear your interaction on this episode. I would love to hear your thoughts, how you were challenged, maybe questions you have, maybe disagreements you have with things that Dave or I said in the podcast. Um, you can you can pretty much, we leave it wide open for any way you want to express yourself here at Beyond the Box. So you can visit our website page, which is beyondtheboxpodcast.com. Um, you'll find all of our posts there and a space for all of your comments and interaction that you can put there. So we welcome that. Um, you can also check us out on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash beyond the box. That's actually probably the best place to interact with us. That's where we have the most wide open discussion. We have a lot of people that join us there that both comment on previous episodes of the podcasts and that also um, put up their own questions or their own comments or disagreements that we can talk about. So that is an absolutely fantastic community that I encourage you to become a part of. Not to support Beyond the Box, but I think you'll just, it'll help you grow as it's helped me grow in the last few years. Um, you can also sign up for our Twitter feed if you'd like to find out when we release new episodes. That's twitter.com slash btbpodcast. 
And last but not least, if you'd like to call us and leave a message um, on our voicemail, you can either leave an audio comment that we can play on the podcast, or you can just leave a personal message for us. Just make sure to distinguish those when you tell us. Um, or if you want to just do a bumper to introduce an episode for us, we'd love to have you do that as well. You can simply call 626-246-6269. That's 626-24-NO-BOX. Um, that's here in the United States or in Canada. And if you don't want to call that number or you can't call that number and you want to have our service actually call you, you can go to beyondtheboxpodcast.com and on the right hand side of the screen, you'll see a widget that says, call me. If you click that call me widget, it'll actually come up with a place for you to put in your name and your telephone number. And when you hit connect, our service will actually call you back so that you can leave your message. So lots of ways to connect with us, lots of ways to get involved. We just encourage you to do so. But most of all, I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to us, even when you disagree. There's so many of you out there that are just so gracious in your responses and even in your disagreements. You guys are such a valuable resource for me, such a valuable community to me. And I really value and treasure the friendships that that Beyond the Box has led me to. So thank you guys. This This whole thing is really nothing without you. Uh, the truth is I probably would keep doing these conversations and would keep doing this podcast just for my own benefit. But the fact that I have all of you to share it with uh, and that Steve and I have all of you to share it with just really blesses both of us. And I know I can speak on Steve's behalf that we are so grateful and thankful to each and every one of you and to God for sending us um, such an awesome worldwide community. You guys are amazing. Before I get off today, I just want to ask a quick, um, we don't usually do this on Beyond the Box, but I really feel led to ask you to pray in specific for a man named Darren Hufford. Now, many of you probably will be familiar with Darren as he is the um, founder of the Free Believers Network. You can go to freebelievers.com and check out his stuff. He wrote a book called The Misunderstood God, which I think you'd really enjoy if you haven't read it yet. But anyway, Darren is actually through his podcast over at the Free Believers Network. He was actually one of the original inspirations for this show to get started between Steve and I. Um, I listened to Darren for a long time and have really enjoyed his work, really enjoyed his outside-the-box thinking, and um, I've actually talked to him on the phone, and just what a great guy. But anyway, I just want to ask you to be in prayer for Darren as he is in the hospital dealing with some real um, health issues that are pretty vital that we lift him up in prayer about. And I just want to ask you to take the time just to, just to ask the father to heal Darren's body and just to encourage his family. He's got a, a wife and five young children. And I just, I just would love to see our community rally around the community over at the Free Believers Network and really support Darren in prayer during this time. So if you feel led to do that, we just ask you to join us in, in prayer for Darren and just to trust the Father for good things for Darren and his family and the Free Believers Network. So anyway, you guys are amazing. Thank you so much for joining us on Beyond the Box. And until next time, I hope you guys have an awesome week.